this indeed is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we're glad in this day. It is indeed a privilege to stand before you today with another opportunity to share the infallible word of God as we contemplate together the truths that have been passed down to us from generation to generation. I want to say thank you first to Pastor Kelly for her, uh, her magnanimous spirit allowing me to grace this uh, sacred desk. And of course, I want to thank God for the one I call D Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate has been a blessing to uh, me and my cohort over the last year and a half. Uh, if you all only knew some of the discussions we've had over this year and a half, there have been some difficult moments, uh, ministry moments, personal moments, and Dr. Kate is always that steady hand who keeps my cohort and I focused on the task at hand. So I thank God for her. I also thank God for all of the leaders, the elders, the lay leaders of this congregation. This seems to be just a wonderful congregation congregation that has always been involved in first responding when emergencies have happened with strong military roots in this area of our nation throughout the nation. So thank God for this wonderful church. And I would be remiss if I did not say something about my wife uh, this morning. Uh, she is just a joy to have in my life. Uh, we've been married almost 30 years now, and uh, she knew me when I had a little bit more hair on my head. In fact, she always encourages me to grow what hair I can grow now so that I do not look like a certain television or game show host. <laughs> and I thank God for her. She's been a blessing to me and our family. Our text will be taken, as you can see in your bulletin, from what the psalmist writes in Psalm 121. Where we find these words. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. God will not allow your feet to be moved. God who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, God who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. God shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. Dear God, we thank you for this moment. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. God, you are indeed our strength and you are our redeemer. And let every believing heart say together, amen and amen again. I remember about 
Six years ago, um, I had one of the most difficult experiences I ever had to work myself through. My mother had died, and before her death, she asked me to be the preacher, the eulogist for her funeral. And so I wanted to fulfill my promise to my mother, and we headed to Chicago to the Park Manor Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, and there I eulogized my mother. I remember distinctly that all throughout the funeral service, my mind was not on the hymns, my mind was not on the testimonials, my mind was not on the scripture reading. My mind was elsewhere because I was still experiencing trauma, the loss of my mother. Are you, for whatever reason, feeling a bit anxious today, even as you sit in the nave, what we commonly also call the sanctuary? As God's covenant people, even as we meet and greet and as we pray and sing and reflect and listen to scripture, underneath the surface, we can still feel overwhelmed, overrun, and under attack as we battle demons of the mind and heart and threats to the soul, as we grapple with day-to-day -day stressors and those sources of anxiety which sometimes seem to swirl all around us parading through our minds like a sinister marching band, playing tunes of spiritual darkness, doubt, cynicism, uncertainty, and fear. It can be Sometimes hard to find true sanctuary, even in the sanctuary, when all of this is going on upstairs in our psyches, in our private musings. What are we to do as God's people when what the Bible describes as perilous times are part of the reality of 2020 America? As we hear about new pandemic threats, we wonder, what is to become of us? And what is to become of those whom we love? And as we hear about the heartbreaking reports of midnight tornadoes tearing away at the sense of our bedtime security, and as another Super Tuesday has come and gone with political intrigue and machinations and controversies and disappointments left in its wake for many people, and as global icons celebrated athletes and those who were with them lose their lives suddenly, violently, and tragically, shattering our notions of athletic immortality. And as a cornucopia of issues that hit much closer to home shakes our peace. For example, I'm a school teacher and I know that uh, Many parents and grandparents did not receive a good report during our parent-teacher conferences this past week. Some parents heard bad news about a wayward child or grandchild who seems lost and without a clear moral or intellectual compass. Or like the very unwanted news that is sometimes placed at our feet when we hear about the loss of a loved one, either suddenly or expectantly, and the bad feelings that then follow, leaving our ears 
and hearts echoing with a sense of an evil, terrible foreboding, something we cannot quite name or articulate, but causes us to shiver in our souls. As we try to focus on God's goodness in Christ and the joy of being in community as we are this morning, we can still feel like we are sitting on pins and needles, especially if we have just received a not so great health prognosis. And I'm glad we heard about a good health prognosis this morning. Or if we are worrying about an aging parent who needs more care, worship can, can be distant or we can feel distant in our worship. Or if we have an irresponsible parent as a young person who's now addicted to opioids, it can be quite tough to center ourselves in the moment of liturgy because we know instinctually oftentimes that what Abraham Joshua Heschel said is true, that every hour is filled with both peril and possibilities. So, sisters and brothers, how do we cope? How do we process? How do we get a handle on our fears and our emotions and see the great possibilities before us in times like these? Faintly, I can hear a clue whispered from Jenny B. Wilson, who wrote the song, Hold On to God's Unchanging Hand, when she writes, Time is filled with swift transitions. Naught of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. In every age, in every epoch, in every culture, on every continent, there have been and there will be moments that tear into the fabric of our rudimentary lives, moments that radically challenge and change how we have understood and how we understand life. Paul describes a series of these strung together events and moments as perilous times. Thomas Paine said that these kinds of seasons are times that try men's and women's, I want to be inclusive, souls. And goes on to say that in such time, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in the crisis shrink. Sisters and brothers in Christ, there's a lot in the world that's going on today to make us feel small and to make us feel like shrinking summertime soldiers and only sunshine patriots. Look at the historical record. People of all cultures and hues have had to endure insufferable burdens in fact, there's a bit of relief in knowing that we are not the only generation of people who have had to deal with perilous times. According to the Christian tradition, looking through the lens of Augustine's emphasis, the fall in the garden was the starting point of our downward spiral toward fear and anxiety. We tried to be like God without listening to God, but instead, the story tells us we listened to the serpent who symbolized or maybe even actually embodied the spiritual adversary of our God, the Satan. Consequently, Paul Tillich, that great theologian, says that this state of anxiety in which we live 
It's just now a fact of our imperfect lives as we fear condemnation and a loss of meaning and are worried that we are inexorably controlled by the force of fate as we struggle against the power and dynamic of non-being. After the garden and because of our fears and our envy, we have murder and crime as traveling companions with floods, disease, and other intimidating events following closely behind. We have fought great wars. We have battled demons in our hearts. We have enslaved others and been enslaved by others. We have not esteemed women as highly as we should have. And too many in our culture and world have abused and misused the most vulnerable among us, our children. But during each period, there have been people who have survived and even thrived. And with their sanity, morality, and humanity intact, they've made it and been victorious. How? Why? Okay, this is the overarching question that is on the table this morning, of course. Given the subject matter and content of Psalm 121, perilous times have always been before and long after the time when Psalm 121 was written. And because of the incursion of so many unwanted realities throughout the annals of history, many people, thank God, have turned to God or some higher power to cope. Nearly 36 years ago, I turned to God when my life and heart were overwhelmed by bad choices, sinful habits, and untamable fears. And I suspect that the same can be said about many of you this morning. But how and why? Thank God we have a conversation partner in the author of our text of Psalm 121. I believe we can learn the whys and hows from the treasure and repository of his words. Many believe this psalm, this song, is one of the songs of David, the gifted shepherd king, warrior, theologian, and songwriter. David had seen much good in his life and much trouble in his life. Since the days of his youth, David was chosen by God and Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But ironically, he also had to fight for meaning and recognition among his own brothers and among his own father, his daddy Jesse. He also faced and won battles against the Goliaths of Israel's enemies and against the Goliaths in his own soul. Yet with each step along the way, he was confronted by tragedy, children who preceded him in death because of his own foolishness. Friends who lost their lives on the battlefield because nations went to war. And two families torn up because of his own scandalous infidelity capped off by a murderous cover-up. And as David writes this poetry, this song, one of the 15 or so ascent psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, those psalms are called ascent psalms. He knows about needing help from above. 
And as he puts his pen to parchment, he has other struggling pilgrims in mind. This is a psalm which many scholars believe David wrote with the intent that these hymns, these songs, would be sung by climbing religious pilgrims who needed existential assurance and affirmations just like David had needed throughout his life, especially as these pilgrims walked their own steep journey toward God, making their way toward Jerusalem, which was somewhat elevated and surrounded by hilly land and mountains. You see, the Israelite traveler went searching for God, searching for meaning, searching for peace in a sometimes brutal and violent world, which could cause one to question God's goodness and God's presence. This reminds me of something a pastor friend of mine has shared on social media when he wrote a couple of days ago. Following God does not mean that there will be no events to ponder that will not cause us to question God. But following God simply ensures that as we question, there will be a quest to keep trusting God anyway. I like that. I believe all of us are on such a quest this morning. David wrote this piece in order to encourage the sometime weary traveler that God is worthy to be trusted even as we ask questions and face steep terrain. Are you sometimes weary as you travel along life's way? Are you sometimes tired of trying to follow a God you can't see every day? Listen to David's anointed thoughts again as he pens these powerful words, because I believe he has found some answers for us. David writes, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. From this opening line, after lamenting about his enemies and his haters and liars in Psalm 120, 121, he begins talking about uh, a new focus. He begins looking upwards and thinking upwards toward higher things, toward a glorious end that keeps even the reader of his lyrics motivated during a difficult middle in life. Sometimes our middles can be very difficult as well as, as we're moving toward the end. Those days can be very arduous. David knew very well that our middles in life can be very difficult. David offers the world and us a teleological perspective. That's a fancy way of saying an end, an end perspective. David offers this to us so hopefully it will help us to have trust in God's ultimate intentions. I will look up to the hills from whence cometh my help, to the hills which surround Jerusalem. My, my former mentor when I was in seminary at the Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, uh, the Reverend Dr. William Hanna, he used to sometimes look at me when we'd be in very difficult meetings. And he would just start doing this. I would lean over and say, Dr. Hanna, what are you doing? He would say, uh, Greg, I am transcending victimization. Transcending victimization. Also, I am moving my mind to a higher plane. 
What do you mean? Dr. Hanna would say, Greg, I'm not going to allow anyone to be in charge of my insanity. I'm going to make sure that when I'm in a difficult meeting, that this is a reminder to me to start looking upwards, to start thinking upwards. David, speaking from his personal experience, says that to transcend victimization, sometimes weary travelers have to look up for help toward heights beyond us. In actuality, this was not a unique thought at the time. The ancient proponents and practitioners of cultic religions for centuries and centuries and centuries have sought to find God and supernatural help in high places. I will look to the hills, to the high places, in the direction of the source of my help. I will look to something that is above me and beyond me, the mysterium tremendum. I will look to the great mysteries in the heavens and beyond the earth. The other day, I was on a lunch break, having a very bad day at school. I teach at a charter school in Inkster, Michigan, at high school. I'm a history teacher and social studies teacher. And sometimes it seems like the kids are not as interested in history as I am. And then I have to reflect, when I was in high school, I was not as interested in history as I am now. It was a tough day. I was on a lunch break. I was driving to a fast food shop. And I just felt down. Skies were gray. I felt a little depressed. Something said, look out of the window and look to your west. I looked to the west. There was a break in the clouds. There was nothing but sunshine. Every now and then, it is important that we look up and look outward to get a different perspective. Often when events become frightening and they ignite and invoke our fears, when situations become almost unbearable, the natural human response is to turn inward and maybe later upward, maybe. But the default human response is to cast our hats end with the kind of philosophy put forth by Rene Descartes when he said that the key to life is to doubt everything except what is going on inside of the self where thinking and rationalization and contemplation take place. Cogito ergo summus, I think, therefore I am. But sisters and brothers, when troubles larger than the self come in like a flood, we soon come to the realization that we are not enough to handle the flood on our own. Looking inward is not enough. We need to look up and even outward. Well, that's another sermon. One more observation related to this point about looking up. Looking for quick escape solutions is not enough especially when our escapism does not lift us in positive and healthy directions. For what it's worth, and maybe it's not worth a lot, maybe it would be quite beneficial to pause our rush, to plop down our good money, or to click on Netflix, to see the latest suspense-filled, disturbing, and gory horror movie. At least for a season. I know some of you like horror movies. But maybe for a season, especially when the daily news is providing us enough horror to go around the world twice. Occasionally to look up in the right way, we might even have to suspend our practice of spending hours looking horizontally at our televisions and at our 
phones. Because as my brother-in-law, an ex-news anchorman, would say, major affiliates and directors who put out our news and decide what leads the news stories, they want to make sure that if it bleeds, it leads. Now, fascinatingly, as we move toward a close, David, the writer, clarifies that upward looking should consist of a particular kind of upward look. Here, David departs from the pagans. The upward look is not just a gaze toward the hills or the stars or strange gods. It is not just a tour of the mountains on the way to Jerusalem, but the look upward should be targeted. It should be theological in nature. David knew that for those who claim to be a covenant people, looking up is more than focusing on that which is larger than us. It is possible that too many people are only looking for help from the high heels of the political parties of their choosing. We expect that our political investments alone will give us the kind of help that satisfies whatever ails us in ails society. Now, we must be informed, no doubt, and we must vote as responsible citizens. But the last time I checked, donkeys and elephants do not sit high enough and cannot heal deep pathologies and pain enough that we experience when we are in trouble. Newsflash, sometimes it's not just our political parties that are not enough, but sometimes even our churches, the institutional church, is not enough of a high heel to adequately help us as helpful as churches can be most times. David had something else, someone else in mind. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. There we go. My attention was never on the hills themselves or the high places. I can hear David saying, from whence cometh my help? My help comes from someone higher than the high hills. My help, your help, comes from Yahweh, the Lord, a personal presence. Pastor Brian, before you sit down, can you tell me who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? And why should we trust in some seemingly distant deity? The Holy Spirit through David re reveals that we should trust in God precisely because Yahweh is not distant. Instead, Yahweh is the deeply invested creator of the heavens and the earth. Invisible does not mean distant. There's a new movie out called The Invisible Man. And from the way the previews look, the young man who's invisible, he's not distant at all. In fact, he's terrorizing a young lady. Microbes are invisible to the naked eye, but they're not distant. Our emotions, like love and joy, are kind of invisible, but they're not distant. Oxygen is, we can't really see it, it's distant. And so for the rest of the psalm, David argues that the true God is the God of all creation. and He's a God of intimate investment. He is the one who keeps us, he said. This God is the one who is our shade at our right hand. This God is the one who never slumbers nor sleeps, David says. This God is the one who will preserve us as we're going out and as we're coming in. David says this God is the one 
who will be with you forever. Jesus said it like this. Yahweh and me being the incarnate presence of Yahweh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever you go, to the ends of the age, I will always be with you. Thanks be to God that we serve this kind of God and he should be our ultimate focus. Amen.